CJ could see the man take three uncertain steps forward into the warehouse before stopping and calling out. Great one? It's me, Andrew. Are you there? He whispered tentatively. When there was no response, he called out again. Great one. It's me, Andrew. Are you there? He said louder, more confident than his first attempt. CJ came up behind the vice president silently. Reaching around him, he clamped a massive hand around Bennis's throat, pulling the vice president into him, immediately cutting off his air. With his left hand, he jabbed the flailing vice president in the neck with a syringe and depressed the plunger, injecting him with a fast-acting sedative. Just before the darkness overtook the vice president, C.J. whispered in his ear, "'Welcome to the worst day of your life, Mr. Vice President.' Bennis awoke slowly. He tried to open his eyes, but doing so caused him to have the worst headache he'd ever had in his life. He tried again, this time forcing his eyes open despite the pain. As he tried to focus, the room began to spin, so Andy shut his eyes tight and tried his best not to empty the contents of his stomach. As the nausea passed, Andy suddenly realized he could not move his arms or his legs for that matter. Panicked, he opened his eyes again. The nausea returned, but not as intense. But the headache was still there, and just as skull-splitting. Andy looked around. There was a light behind him, that lit up an area of about twenty-five square feet surrounding him. His hands were behind him and appeared to be bound together. His feet were likewise bound, like his hands, both duct-taped to the chair. Andy told himself to struggle, but he was too weak and his head hurt terribly. He looked up and noticed a few feet to his left a table with various surgical instruments, tools, and cutting items on it. He suddenly began to panic as sweat streamed down his face. The nausea returned, and the ever-present headache increased tenfold. For the first time in his privileged life, Vice President Bennis was terrified. Andy stiffened as he heard footsteps just beyond the range of the light coming towards him. The figure stopped just outside the light. Andy could only see an outline of a shadowy figure. He didn't know if it were a trick of the light, but the figure appeared to be enormous. As he stepped into the light, Andy recognized him, the soldier who saved the president's life and had been to the White House several times since to visit him. Was he a disgruntled ex-soldier looking for a big payday? Where was Stratrine? And seriously, why did his head hurt so much, he thought, as his mind raced like an engine. Please, please let me go. I'll give you anything. I promise I won't tell anyone what you've done, but you have to act quickly. I'm wearing a transponder. If the Secret Service comes busting in here, there's nothing I can do. They'll shoot first and ask questions later. Come on, what's it going to be? You can win here. You can get rich. No one has to know about this, asked the vice president, now in full salesman mode. You don't have the transponder anymore. You dumped it because you didn't want to be disturbed when meeting with Stratrine, said C.J. ominously.
Andy could not hide his shock. His mouth hung open, his eyes were wide, and he tried to speak, but couldn't find any words. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to get pliers from over there, said CJ, nodding to the table with the surgical instruments on it. And I'm going to start on your teeth. Then I'm going to get the hacksaw and work on your feet. And for dessert, I'm going to take this, said CJ, picking up the thin, steel, narrowed, needle-like blade, moving it up and down slowly between the president's thigh and crotch. I intend on shoving this up a tiny little hole where nothing should ever go. And after you tell me everything about your alien cult leader's plans for Earth, you'll beg me to kill you, and I will happily oblige, said C.J., his voice taking on a low, primal tone.